All right, I think it's working. So, anger. Very good. Um, let's begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O God, who does instruct the hearts of the faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant by the same Spirit that we may be truly wise, and ever rejoice in his consolation. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today's the feast day of St. Thomas Aquinas, but we, he got bumped by, by, by Jesus. By the resurrection. St. Thomas is totally okay with that. I'm not. A little bit of sadness today, but, you know, but Thomas is okay with it. So one day I will be more like him and be okay with it. But it's a little sad. A little sad. That, like we have to wait until next year. Or if you're, if you're old school, the old calendar does St. Thomas in February. So we might just have to pretend to be old school for a little bit. Um, celebrate St. Thomas in February, and then we can go back to being uh, the current St. Calendar. But Thomas is always a good person to go to if you're looking at the uh, virtues and the vices. Another good one to look at is, he's not a theologian, but he's kind of fun, is um, the great uh, poet, maybe you've heard of him, Dante. You can look at the divine, uh, the divine Comedy, and he talks about the seven deadly sins bringing you down into hell, but then it's also like the seven uh, virtues that bring you through purgatory to get you to heaven. So, you know, if you're looking for sources on this, these are, uh, both of them are kind of good sources, Thomas or Dante. One's canonized, one's not, but it's still good. It's still good. Is he right up behind me? No. No, I don't see him. If he is, I thought. Okay, so anger. Talking about anger. Um, first of all, we could think that anger is a passion. And I don't know how much you guys have that theological anthropology to like what it means to be human, in other words. That we have our understanding of our, our passions within us. Maybe if you're looking through the seven deadly sins, you might have been looking at this, I don't know, because I wasn't here for the other lectures. But anger is simply a passion. And because of that, it's neutral. It's neutral. Anger is neither good nor bad. It just is. You always think it's bad, but then you've got to time out, and you've got to say, was Jesus angry? And the answer is, most definitely because it says in the gospel, and he was angry. <laughs> Ergo, it's not bad. Because Jesus didn't do anything bad. So, he was angry. Remember, they were, there was the guy with his hand was crippled, and they're in the synagogue, and they're all praying. And then they're like looking at him. They're not really, they stopped praying. They're like, oh, the you know, crippled hand man came into the synagogue. <laughs> and they're like, you know, Jesus, are you going to cure him, or are you going to obey the Sabbath? And they stop, totally stop praying. They're like focusing on, and Jesus looks at them, and he sees, in, it says the gospel, it says he sees into their hearts, and he says, am I allowed to do something good on the Sabbath? Is it lawful for me to do something good on the Sabbath? To heal? And they don't answer him. And it says, he was angry. Yeah. Not sinful. He was angry without sinning. So anger is not a sin. Mm. But we do call it one of the seven deadly sins. So we're going to get to that it can be sinful. Mm. It can be. We can think of another gospel example. 
James and John, the two brothers, called the sons of thunder, right? They're going through the town of Samaria, and the Samaritans are like, get away from us. We don't like you Jews, because they didn't. And you remember James and John's response? They said, Lord, let's call down fire from heaven and destroy them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They were angry. And Jesus is like, no. That would be sinful anger. We're not going to use our passion, our anger, to go around and destroy people. But he notices that these apostles have this anger. And he sees this is something good within you, even though you're doing something bad with it. And this is what then you and I are going to want to learn how to do, is we have this passion within us, this anger that is just neutral. But when the force of the will is added to it, then we're making it not simply neutral, but it's either going to be for good or for bad. Sometimes we add a qualifier, righteous anger, to let us know that it's good, versus we could add another qualifier, sinful anger, that makes us know that it's bad. Or we could call it wrath. That makes us know that it's probably not very good. But even wrath isn't always used sinful because we can think, and I was just mentioning it to uh, Father Brigida, um, there's a beautiful hymn, one of the beautiful hymns of the church, the Dies Irae, the day of wrath, the day of judgment. And it's a beautiful hymn where we talk about God's wrath. So, if God's got it, it ain't bad, right? So hmm, we got to be careful. So there's really, we can just think of like sinful anger versus righteous anger because anger by itself is neutral. It takes the will to take that emotion, that power, that passion of anger and then direct it somewhere. And if it's directed according to reason, then it's going to be good. And this is one of the key insights of Thomas Aquinas, that it all should be reasonable. If it's directed in an unreasonable way, well, now we have sinned, right? Mm? Now we have sinned. So anger is a passion. Passions are neutral. So anger can be good or bad depending on how it is used. So we can think that Jesus, seeing these two, James and John, these sons of thunder, these passionate men, didn't say, I'm going to need you to like stop being passionate if you're going to be my disciples. But rather he says, I'm going to need you to direct this in the right way. We can think James eventually becomes the first one to passionately lay down his life as a martyr. The first martyr, right? James. Well, not first martyr, martyr, but first apostle martyr, James. John, who in his maturity towards the end of his life is able to write children, Little children love one another. It's the same passionate man who said, let's call down fire from heaven to destroy those people, who then says, children, love one another, for love is of God. Directing his passion now in a reasonable way. So, um, we could think of another one who has this passionate anger that was inappropriately directed can you erase that bad mistake on the... Okay, yeah, yeah. I didn't mean to say ill-appropriate. Inappropriately um, directed. St. Paul. He says, I was the 
most Jewish of all the Jews. I could out-Jew all the Jews. I was Jewed by Gamiel. Like, I know how to Jew. And in my goodness of being the best Jew that there is, you Christians were bad. So I was going to kill y'all. Yeah! Destroy the Christians because they're not good Jews. Which, time out, like, on a level, he's got a point here, you know? <laughs> you know? Probably I'm not the best Jew. I'm a good Christian. <laughs> but at least I try. Um, but our Lord had to uh, redirect that passion. Redirect that passion to be a proper response. To control. Um, we can think of another great saint, St. Jerome. If you read his writings, you see this is a man of passion. And he had sinful anger. He liked to call people names. I don't know if any of you call people names, but if you do, you might want to start praying to St. Jerome that you get that under control. He had a wicked tongue. Ooh. He could write some uh, pretty neat, like he, he'd be fine with the Twitter verse. He would know how to write Twitter messages and talk about how idiots and stupid people and you moron, how on earth could you think this? Oh, he just wrote it all down. Fiery tongue. He had to get that under control. He had to get that under control. But we can think, though, that sometimes we think, oh, well, then we want to just eliminate, eliminate the passion. If anger is this dangerous thing, we got to eliminate it. And they're like, hmm, not what we want. Though. We don't want to just remove all anger and become a limpid little nothing-nothing. That's no good. We don't need doormats. We don't need doormats. You can think St. Paul, this angry young man, later on wrote to his protege, Timothy. He said, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Power, love, and self-control. That the passions can be good. And so I'd like you to think of the anger, that passion of anger, as energy. Like oil. And oil in, well not like oil oil, but like gasoline oil. Gasoline oil in the car, good. Gasoline oil all over the Gulf of Mexico, bad. It's the same oil, but if it's in the right place, it's going to help us out. In the wrong place, it just wrecks havoc. So, anger. Simply a passion. So, because we can think the saints uh, are going to remind us this. Uh, St. Augustine says, this is a beautiful quote of St. Augustine. He says, hope has two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. Anger at the way things are. Courage that they do not have to stay the same. Hope has those two beautiful daughters, anger and courage. And so um, we can see St. John Chrysostom says, he that is angry without cause shall be in danger. But he that is angry with cause shall not. Such that we can think, um, and I was looking for the quote and I ran out of time, I never found it. The uh, saint who said, there are times when you ought to be angry and if you are not, then you sin. 
And again, if, if we think that the definition of, sin, of sinning is doing anything that is unchristlike, if our Lord walked into that synagogue where that man with the crippled hand was there and saw those Pharisees in the synagogue worshiping our Lord, time out, we're not going to worship God, we're just going to judge and see if Jesus is going to do the wrong thing. And he had not gotten angry, he would have done wrong. Because everything our Lord did was right. If we were in there instead of Jesus and we did not get angry, we would be wrong. When we see people doing horrible things, you ought to be angry. And if you're not, there's something wrong with you. We can think, for example, in our own times, make it very real. When you saw those videos of Planned Parenthood selling human baby parts, if that did not make you angry, then there is something wrong with you. Because that is horrible. And we should be angry at that. Now we can say, let's time out and say, we know now that it's a, anger is a passion, neither good nor bad, but it needs to be directed. What should it be directed towards? So that we make sure that it's good, that we use this power for good and ba- passion for good and not for ill. Because St. Paul says, um, he who is, or excuse me, Jesus says, he who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Or St. Paul says that um, when you are angry, let it be without sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. So he who is angry with his brother. So we can think anger is the proper response to injustice. Anger is the proper response to injustice. Human beings are not injustice. Human beings are created in God's image and likeness. God looked at what he had made and he called them very good. So our anger ought not be directed towards the goodness of a human being, but rather towards the injustice that the human being is committing. And how often have you heard us say, we as Catholics love the sinner and hate the sin. Substitute. We as Catholics are angry at the sin. Question. Um, so do we take questions from the field? Yeah. Okay, we do. <laughs> you would be angry at the Holocaust but not at Hitler who caused it? Does Jesus love Hitler? He's supposed to love everybody. He's supposed to. So does he do it? <laughs> I think he does, but I think he would be very um, disappointed in him. Disappointed is a great verb, yes. How many parents are disappointed with their children, but they never stop loving them? Here's another key distinction. We're not going to like Hitler at all. Yeah. <laughs> but we're still going to love him. We're not going to like him at all but we're still going to love him. Now, what is the loving thing for someone in that position? That he be converted. That's what we, you know, you can think, now it's kind of hard to pray for him now because he's dead and gone, but if there's somebody else who's in power who you had that initial inclination, I want to hate this man, 
You can time out and say, nope, I don't need to hate this man because that's not going to be very holy. I need to love this man. I'm going to pray that this person be converted. That they be converted. You can think, for example, going to the topic of abortion, Dr. Bernard Nathanson, one of the uh, leaders of of, of abortion in this country. He was one of the co-founders of the National Association for the Repeal of Abortion Laws, now known as NARL, NARL USA. Uh, they kept their acronym even though they were successful in repealing those abortion laws. Well, I guess not really successful because they didn't repeal them. They just got the Supreme Court to just throw them all out in one fell swoop. Well, two fell swoops. Um, but there's a man who himself committed innumerable abortions and was convinced that this is, needs to be uh, spread throughout the country for the good of uh, society. We need to just, you know, allow uh, abortion to be legal. We could call him a modern-day Hitler. And we probably shouldn't hate him, but rather we should love him, which is what did happen. And he was loved, and he was converted. He went from being the atheist to being the Catholic, and he went for the rest of his life to try to stop all that he had done for the first part of his life. Would that somebody had loved Hitler before he had committed suicide? You know, we kind of ran out of time on him. But would that somebody had been able to penetrate his heart with love, that he would say, I have made a horrible error, and I need to now dedicate the rest of my life to undo what I have done. This is what God would have wanted, right? So we don't hate Pontius Pilate. We don't hate the criminals on the cross next to Jesus. We're constantly open for any of their conversion. But we can certainly hate the horrible, horrible things that they have done. And we should. Or else there's something wrong with us. So, um, because you could think St. Saint, Saint Alphonsus Liguori tells us, um, he says, that even when correcting faults, superiors should be kind. Even when correcting faults, superiors should be kind. And so, when we're correcting the faults of whoever, it should be with love, which is not weak, which kind of, I, want, I was maybe going to do it, talk a little bit more, but then it's, it's kind of transitioned to this anyway. So the opposing virtue to the vice of anger would be meekness. And just a little thing you can remember for your head, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is submission to God motivated by love. Meekness combats the sin of anger in our lives. We can think, we see this in our Lord Jesus, which is always where we want to see it first. Jesus was totally submitted to the will of his Father, right? He says, I come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He was never given... Jesus was, was never given to sinful anger. But rather, he identifies himself as one who is meek. He says, all you who labor and are, and are burdened, come after me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart. He identifies himself as not having an angry 
sinful anger heart, but having a passionate, meek heart. But we would never think of our Lord's heart as weak. But some, for some reason, we tend to think that if we're not going to be angry, we're going to be meek, that the meek, is, meek one is the one who is weak. And that just makes the, vir- the virtue unappealing and therefore the vice appealing. And then, like, this is not good. This is the disordered uh, state in which we live. We need to dispel that and we need to recognize the truth is that virtue is desirable. So meekness is not weakness. Meekness is a virtue that moderates anger and controls where it's directed. So meekness is a way in which we find strength through submission to God. Meekness helps us to keep our cool, to remain ourselves in the midst of adversity. As I will often counsel people who um, are struggling with forgiving somebody else who has wronged them and therefore they want to retaliate they want to have that revenge that vengeance I say to them do you want to give everyone else in your life power over you? they're like no, no, no that's why I want to go punch him in the face is because I don't want him to have power over me he punched me, I gotta punch him back and you're like so you're giving him control If he punches you, you punch him back. If he's nice to you, you're nice back. Who's in control? He is, not you. Is that really how you want to live your life? As a slave to everyone whom you encounter. That they determine how you react. That they determine how you behave. Or do you want to experience what St. Paul says is the freedom that belongs to the sons of man. That it doesn't matter how you behave. I'm going to be me. I'm going to be me. And if you behave wrongly, I will correct you. If you behave rightly, I will praise you. Who does this sound like? Jesus. Who when he encountered good people, he praised them. Think. He said, this centurion has such great faith. I have not seen a man like this anywhere in Israel. Or you think he encounters Nathaniel and he says, ah, This is a righteous man. Our Lord is quick to praise when there's something to be praised. But then when he sees the Pharisees misbehaving, he says, you whitewashed sepulchers. Hmm. He's not weak. He knows what he's about. He decides how I'm going to behave. He's on the cross. He's like, if I wanted to, I could just destroy you all. But that's not my mission. I'm not on the mission of destroying y'all. You guys are trying to destroy me right now, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not on the mission of revenge, destroy you back. I'm on the mission of redemption. So even though you're destroying me right now, I'm going to choose to love you. Father, forgive them. They know not what they are doing. We see the power of this. Our Lord is in control of himself. And the meek one who has submitted himself to Christ he experiences that, that same power. He experiences that same power. That he is able to be who he is regardless of what he's encountering. We can think one more image of this. 
uh, we just celebrated his feast day a couple days ago, St. Francis de Sales. Now, I've never actually seen this quote in his writings, but I did, as was mentioned, go to Paul VI. And in Paul VI, we had little quotes of St. Francis de Sales, most of which are not quotes, but are really paraquotes. So this is probably one of those paraquotes, um, because, like I said, I've not actually seen this quote anywhere in him, but I have not read everything he's wrote, because... St. Francis Sales had a pen, and he wrote a lot, so it might be an actual quote. I don't know. Either way, the attribution is, he says, nothing is as gentle as true strength. Uh, gentleness can only be expected from one who is strong. Gentleness can only be, and you can think, let's imagine I'm picking up a refrigerator, and this refrigerator is like really heavy and I'm just not quite strong enough, or maybe I'm just barely strong enough. So like, when I put this down, I'm gonna say like, watch out, bam! It, it ain't going down gentle, right? <laughs> Let's say though, I have the, a happy little, you know, tissue box. I can put this tissue box down as gentle as I like because I have the strength. I have the, when you have the, a sufficient strength, you can be as gentle as you want. It's when you're at the limits of your strength. And all of you parents know this. It's when you're at the limits of your strength that it's tough to be gentle. Really, it becomes tough to be gentle. And so we can think meekness is a virtue that gives us strength. Not a, 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 a virtue that's like, eh, we don't like that virtue. But it's, to be holy, we have to like pretend to be like, hmm. Like, let's get rid of that, like, you know holy face. Let's get on like, you know, virtuous face, real face, strength, power. Remember, virtue is supposed to mean power. So, um, so nothing uh, is more powerful. This is the quote of St. John Chrysostom. Nothing is more powerful than meekness. For as fire is extinguished by water, so a mind inflated by anger is subdued by, weak, by meekness, by submitting to God. One of the things that in submitting to God, we say, God, I'm not going to take the revenge on this person who's, had in, who's committed injustice against me, to which my anger flared up. I will let you have vengeance on him, God. I submit to your will. And we can just entrust that person to God. Like this person who's just so annoying to you that you just want to just destroy that person. I'm sure none of you have those people in your life, but I do. Um, you say, God, I'm going to give you that person. You take care of them. Might God just, you know, God who knows all things is going to take care of them, right? You know, if they deserve it, they're going to get it. But if God knows something more than you, and he knows what's beautiful in them that you don't know because all you see is the injustice. God's going to take care of them. They're going to get it. And so we can see that meekness is going to give us the strength to do what is right by submitting ourselves to God, which is by submitting ourselves to God, that anger, that power is then going to be directed towards something good. This is the power of James and John who submitted themselves to God and were able to be courageous apostles. This is the power of St. Paul. Sometimes you read all that he endured and like, whoa, he had that passion, that tremendous passion that allowed him to be stoned, shipwrecked, whipped, stoned again, whipped again, imprisoned. He is able to take all of that and not give up 
because he's got that passion, that anger that says, I'm willing to endure all of these things to push the spread of the gospel, right? To just keep pushing forward. That anger allows him to drive up and say, there's a lot of sin. There's a lot of ignorance. There's a lot of hatred out there and they all need me to push back against them with God's love. Pretty amazing when we look at what St. Paul, and I don't know if you guys saw that there's going to be a new movie about St. Paul. Oh, I'm so excited. So excited. It's going to be awesome. So, the cure for sinful anger is going to be that meekness, which involves the virtue of courage. Meekness is part of that virtue of courage. And I think at this point you see how. You see why. To courageously uh, see the injustice and say, this is bad. And I'm going to follow God's will for this injustice. Submitting myself to him. And there are times where God's will is going to be for you to act, right? You don't just let People do bad things sometimes, right? But you have to sometimes reach out and stop them. Especially when you're a parent, when you're a teacher. It'd be sinful for you to let your child do something horrible. This is why it's a work of mercy to admonish the sinner. To admonish the sinner is a work of mercy. But when we reprove, we reprove with gentleness. Because we're finding the strength to reprove that comes from God as opposed to reproving from our own woundedness. Just putting our anger right onto that person. Mm, not the right way. But rather we take the anger and we give it over to God and God is sometimes going to then push us to go correct that person, especially if we're in a position of superiority to that person, right? You're a parent, a teacher, a boss, but you're doing it in submission to God, not all on your own authority. So, questions, comments, debate, discussions, arguments, qualms, conundrums, concerns, queries, confusions, concern. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so, anger, we could think just to have it all in our heads. Anger is a passion, a power, neutral in itself, simply that emotional response to perceived injustice, wrongdoing, annoyance but it ought to be properly directed in a righteous way and it's virtuous. Following the example of our Lord, we can think another time. He sees the money changers in the temple. He gets angry. He's submitting himself to the will of God who desires, he says, my father's house shall be a house of prayer. And so he drives those money changers from the temple saying, you are not doing what God wants you to be doing in this house. This should be a house of prayer. We could think, for example, um, maybe make it something more practical for us. Let's say um, your son has died from drugs. And there's the lawyer who got the drug dealer off on some technicality. Should we be angry? Probably, right? There's going to be anger. What are we angry at? Are we angry at the lawyer for doing his job? Or are we going to be angry at the unjust laws that somehow allow this situation to occur? 
and our, re our anger going to be directed towards the lawyer, and we're just going to go into the parking lot and slug him? Or is it going to be directed towards, let's right the wrong in this situation? Let's make it, let's create a, a society where it's easy to be good and hard to be bad. Which one is going to be according to God's will? Does it do us any good to go slug the lawyer? Does this praise the Lord? We can see this anger is not properly directed. Might make you feel better for two seconds until you realize, ow, my hand hurts. He's got a hard head. And then he sues you to, you know, for punching. I'm sure there's a proper crime for that. What is it called? Battery, right? Mm, not going to be good. So, um, the only other thing I just want to caveat on this, and I meant to, and I told you, I, was, I meant to say a little bit more and then I got distracted, um, is the other thing we want to measure with our anger is not only that it's directed towards the right things, but we also want to make sure that's measured um, in the appropriate amounts. There are times when we uh, can be too angry, or there are times when we can be too little angry, and we want to make sure that um, our we moderate the the um, the degree of our of, of our response to make it sure that it's in line with the degree of the injustice. Um, so you know your child, I don't know. He is doing the dishes and you tell him to be careful and he drops, you know, he's not being careful. So he drops the glass, psh, shatters, you know, you should be angry at that, right? Because you had told him not to do that. You know, your anger is going to be submitted to the Lord and you're going to say, child, now this is why I had told you to be careful. <coughs> it's because now we have broken a glass. Now your little baby brother who crawls is going to crawl on the broken glass and cut himself up. This is a disaster, and you caused it. It's all your fault. You're going to do it, do it though with calmness, with gentleness, and love, and you're going to teach him now how to clean up glass with a wet paper towel and all those good things. But um, a gentle response, as opposed to, and we've all seen this, the person who flies off the hook and is like, this is the worst thing in the world. Like, no, really it isn't, you know? There are a kajillion other glasses. You just go to the Home Depot, wherever you buy glasses. Obviously, obviously, I don't buy them very often. You could take that off the uh, recording, too. No Home Depot. Just put wherever you buy glasses. Um, you know, so the proper response. We can think an example of this um, very clearly in our minds. We could think, perhaps, the alcoholic parent who his children are always afraid because they never know when he's going to fly off the handle because he lacks the virtue of having any moderation on his anger. It just comes. And when it comes, it comes big. And you just don't ever know how much. It's irrational, right? So we want to make sure that we also, when we're angry, we have the proper response in degree, not just in direction. So I was meant to say that in the part where we were talking about anger, then I got distracted and I never, I came back to it, finished my notes. Very good. So now I feel better about life. <laughs> So, um, one last thing that we could kind of close then with um, a little meditation um, would be um, let's go to the very beginning of Luke's gospel. Very beginning of Luke's gospel. And this is a scene I know you are all very familiar with because it's um, one of the mysteries of the rosary. So, Jesus is 12 years old and he's had his bar mitzvah, right? And he is now considered one of the adults in Judaism that he can worship and do, proclaim and, uh, and read, the, read the scrolls and all those good things. And so off 
They, you know, they were visiting the temple. They leave. They're going back up north to Galilee. And Mary assumes that he's with Joseph. Joseph assumes that he's hanging out with the children still because he's brand new at being an adult. It's okay, you know. But at the end of the day, the adults and the, um, the men and the women, like, stop being men and women. They start going back to being family units. And they don't have Jesus. They've lost him. Mm. So they go back. And it says for three days they're searching, searching, searching. This city of Jerusalem is pretty big, but also there was a feast day. That's why they'd been there. So they say that the city of Jerusalem would just swell in population. So you can just imagine, like, you can think, like, why are they taking so long to search? Probably because it's kind of like driving on 66 at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Like, you're really not going anywhere. But, like, you know, all right, like, we're looking for our son. Like, there's people just still standing in front of you. You can't get anywhere. So eventually they find him right in the temple. They find him in the temple, and, and um, Mary has what any mother would consider a just cause for anger, right? She, notice though, her words are not angry. She pleads for understanding. She waits for the answer from Jesus. My son, why have you done this to us? Because Mary is meek. And so she has submitted herself to God. And so she directs that power that has caused her to go searching for three days, this anger inside of her. She directs it to the Lord, who she knows is right in front of her. My son, why have you done this to us? I'm angry at the injustice, but I know it's not directed towards you. Where do I direct it? What do I do? Mother, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? We can imagine this, I mean, boy child, I mean, 12 years old, I would still call him. If he was one of my 12-year-olds, I'd call him a boy, but it's kind of like a man. Yeah, I don't know what you want to call him. You can imagine this 12-year-old person. That's always safe when you go with person. <laughs> you can imagine this 12-year-old person maybe um, shaking his head like, why would you even ask this question? Why would you wonder? Don't you know that I must be in my father's house? His reply is not defiance, like one of our teenage sons. <laughs> A little attitude. No, there's no attitude in you. You know, like, it's just, where else do you think I could be? And what was Mary's response to this? says she pondered these things in her heart because her human intellect still wasn't quite capable of understanding it all. And so she submitted even that. I don't know where I should go. She ponders it in her heart. Yes? Do you know, I've always thought about that mystery that um, Mary and Joseph might have been concerned because they knew at one time people were searching for him to kill him. Mm -hmm. And then here he is missing. Yeah, yeah. What happened? In the city where, like, you know, bad things happen. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They had a righteous cause for anger. Definitely. Don't get me, like, that. Oh, I, I know. Yeah, I they know. had that righteous cause for anger, but right. are they going to direct it towards God himself? No, they can't. They know that that's not right. And so it comes out not as anger towards Jesus, but as a question. 
lead me. I'm submitting myself to you and I don't understand. Because she's meek. And how often do we think of that? Mary, meek and mild, right? The meek one submits oneself to God. And so with that anger, she submits it to the Lord and says, Lord, where am I supposed to direct it? God, where does this anger go? Why have you done this to us? Because it seems to me to be an injustice. You ought to be with us so we can keep you safe. That was what you told us to do. Like, that's our job as mom and dad is to protect God. And you're not making it easy by running away. Like, it seems like you've done something wrong to us. We don't understand. But I'm not angry at you, God, because you're God. So I'm submitting my anger to you. Direct it. Why? Where? What? What do I do? And receives an answer that she still doesn't quite know what to do with, which is important for us because oftentimes we don't always quite know what to do. And so she ponders. Important kind of thing here. We don't just, well, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to punch you in the face. <laughs> Rather, I don't know what to do, I should ponder. I should ponder. I should take this in. Maybe consult with somebody. Get some advice. But we don't act in that dubiousness of, I'm not sure, so I'm just going to punch you in the face and take care of it. No, that doesn't do us any good. We don't want to go off, as they say, half-cocked. Rather, we want to make sure that we've directed ourselves properly so that we act with rationality, not blinded. Yes? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, springboard off mm-hmm. of, this, of your comment mm-hmm. or question. Because there's a question I was going to ask you, but I think you've already answered Okay, good. Look at that. I anticipated your question and answered it before you asked it. My question was going to be, in what way does righteous anger relate to meekness? Mm. But I think your answer, if I understand you correctly, is that meekness directs the righteous anger to submission to God. Yes, yes. And our part in that would be to ponder... Or mm-hmm. to consult. Mm-hmm. Certainly, don't go off half cocked. Don't go off half cocked, okay. right? Well, I'm just quoting the the, uh, the popular phraseology and, and the jargon of today. What the kids say. So, so they don't say that anymore. So but that I think you're right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so this passion arises within you because of a perceived injustice. That's anger. You don't direct it towards people. And that would be sinful anger, right? To go destroy things, to have vengeance, revenge. You know, we can think in the scripture, it says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. So I'm not going to go, because that would be sinful to go and look for revenge. So rather I submit it to God. And if I don't know what to do, it's just going to lead to pondering. Notice it doesn't say she brooded over these things. Brooding, not good. Pondering, openness to God, as opposed to brooding, closed in on myself. Just, you know, what's it like, you, know, you can think like, uh, and there's a word in my, like, you take the soda bottle and you shake it up like this is like brooding. It just gets more and more powerful until it explodes. As opposed to pondering is openness of, I'm going to take in what, I'm willing to still take things in. It's, it's a healthy, healthy recollection as opposed to the brooding and unhealthy recollection. Mm-hmm. Very good. Because... Ultimately, I said anger is, is a passion, but you know, how does it apply to the will? This is that, going back to that theological anthropology. The will needs to always be desiring the good. The will needs to always be desiring the good. And then it's empowered to seek out that good through the power of anger. That's going to push you, give you that power, like I said, that gasoline to go do something, right? 
So we can think, for example, if we go to that image of Jesus there on the cross, um, his will is always directed towards good, boundless love. And so we can think that he's the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, that he was oppressed, that he was afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And yet as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so too he opened not his mouth. There was no, there was no explosion of angry words coming out of his mouth in the, in the face of all that. But rather it was um, still a heart of love. A love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, a love that never fails. And we see how that love, that meekness in our Lord brings life. Because it's inevitable that we're going to be uh, offended. We live in a world of sinners. Chief amongst whom is me. I live with myself, so I live with a sinner. There's going to be injustice in my life. Inevitably. Meekness allows me not to fly off the handle at all the injustice, but rather to have it be submitted to God and then have that power, that, that strength to do what he wants, even in the face of the injustice. Any other questions, comments, debate, discussions, arguments, qualms, conundrums, concerns? Confusions? Conundrums? Yes, sir. So you want to think, so your car breaks down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what are you angry at? Mm-hmm. So, so are we angry at ourselves for being an idiot and not taking it in to uh, get, you know, a tune-up when the, uh, the light on the dash, uh, I'm talking about myself right now, there's a light on my dashboard I've ignored for two weeks. Maybe I should, uh, you know, take it. <laughs> um, you know, so where's the anger directed at? Or is the anger going to then be directed that, like, you know, my car broke down, I'm angry, so I have the energy, which I was a long day of work, I was exhausted, but now I'm angry, I have the energy to go walk the mile and a half to go get help. So what's the anger directed towards? If it's directed towards allowing you to go do what's hard, yay, right? If it's directed towards just kicking your car because <laughs> you're angry at it, so you're just beating on it. Like, uh, like well, like, yeah, the car's the one who broke down. Right? You're thinking to yourself, it's not a person. At least I'm not like hating on it. Like, yeah, but you're just hurting yourself. <laughs> what good is that going to do you? <laughs> so, you know, what, what's the anger directed at? No other questions? Yes. Yes, yes. Right, right. To the angry young man. To the angry young man, I say, like, you know, what is it directed towards? Like, you know, you, of course you're angry. You're a young man. You ought to be angry. You know? Because you just have discovered life isn't fair. And that's good reason to be angry directed towards something. Let that passion in you do something. You know, if you're so angry and you want to go, you know, make yourself a better man so that you're going to be able to conquer that world, to fix that injustice, 
Pick one, because maybe the world is filled with them. But pick one and be passionate. And don't teenagers love to have a cause? You know? And if we don't give them one and help them to find one good, they find plenty on their own that are less than good. So how important to direct teenagers to, like, do something about it. Use that passion for good. On the other hand, I also many a times have talked to the angry young person, you know, in, in, along the same lines of what I've shared with you all. Is, so are you going to give everybody in your life control over you? Because they hate, you know, especially maybe when they're moving away from like 12 and moving into like 15, they hate to be told that somebody else is in charge of them. They want that independence. And it's like, well, if you want independence, then you need to discover meekness. Because as long as you have that just uh, lack of self-control, everybody else is in control. And so you want to be submitted to God so that you're not in submission to everybody else in the world and you are angry when they do something bad to you, you're kind when they do something nice to you. You know, oftentimes you can walk them through and say like, have you ever had a friend? Yes, of course I've had a friend. Good. Have you ever had a friend who's betrayed you? Yes, yes. Isn't that make you angry? Yes. Like, so are you going to like, then like no longer have friends because sometimes they betray you? You're going to live a lonely life for the rest of your life. If you... Having had a friend who betrayed you, your decision now is to, like, no more friends. I'm angry at people. You're going to be lonely for the rest of your life. Rather, you need to recognize, okay, I'm not going to be angry at people just because sometimes people do bad things. Because I don't want to live that life. I want to live a life of love. And so, am I going to let their, their sins control my life, or am I going to this is, this is the insight of uh, St. John of the Cross. He says, when we have been wronged, right? When we've had, had somebody, and I, I don't have the exact quote, so don't like, quote me. Otherwise, you're going to be looking for this quote like I'm looking for that quote from St. Francis de Sales, and you're never going to find it. But he says, when we've, when we've been wronged, when we've encountered somebody who did not love us, he says, put love in so that you can find the love in that relationship that you didn't receive from the person. You put the love into that relationship. And so you tell the person, like, you know, the teenager, you know, you've been wronged by your friends. Okay, you be the better friend. You show them what it means to be a friend, because they obviously don't know. They're betraying you. Show them what it means to be a friend. Show them, and be who, in other words, you're telling them, be who you want to be regardless of who they want to be. Or who, regardless of how, who they want you to be. Mm. Be a little bit of a rebel and love, even though you haven't been loved. Ooh, they kind of like being rebels. <laughs> I think it was Peter Kraft who said, in an age that we live in today, the last, the only acceptable, or no, the only possible rebellion is orthodoxy. Yes? Yeah, yeah. Pick, pick one, you know? Pick one and work on it. Yeah. It's like when you head towards one, there's another one that pops right up as part of that one. Mm-hmm. It's, um, well, it's rather depressing, but you know. It's, <laughs> no, it's not depressing. It's exciting. We live in a time for great saints. Imagine if you lived in a perfect society where you could do nothing good because it had already been done. We live in a time where there's great, great things to be done. We live in a perfect time. 
this time is a time for saints. I mean, if you lived, I don't know, in like, I don't know when there was a good time in the world, but pick a time that was better than ours. I can't find one. And, you know, like, what were you going to do with your life? There's nothing to do. There's nothing good to be done. But us, oh. Yeah. In an age of darkness, the light shines. You're not, because you don't want to be a halfway Catholic. If you only want to be a halfway Catholic, then yes, we live in horrible times. Because if you're a halfway Catholic in great times, the great times are just going to bring you into heaven. But we're not trying to be halfway Catholics at this Mary Mother of Divine Learning Academy. I forgot what it was called. Mary Society of Teachers. We're not trying to be halfway Catholics. We're trying to be leaders. So if we're going to lead, like lead in the midst of chaos, yes. You know, like you're going to be a full, full on 100%. I'm going to go against the flow, Catholic. Yay. Like you said, you can walk in any direction and you can find holiness. You can find holiness? Yeah. Right? You can choose to be holy by fixing this or that or this. Anywhere you go, there is something in front of you that you could work on and become a saint. Right? Anywhere you look. It could just be in your family. I don't know your family, but I imagine if your family is anything like my family. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I look at my family, and I've got, like, one person in my family who's a fornicating adulterer. I've got another person in my family who doesn't go to church except when the, the, the worshiping of sports doesn't get in the way. So, you know, a couple of times a year they go, and, and aren't they proud of, you know, they ask me, aren't you proud? We go a couple of times. You're like, no, I'm not proud of you. I got another one. I got another person in my family who doesn't, who goes to church every Sunday. She's so good, but she just won't stop living with a man she's not married to. So she knows she can't receive Holy Communion. It's like, just stop living with him. He's not good for you. I, she can't. So, you know, she, I got it all. I'm sure you do too. It's like St. Paul. You know, after the innumerable times he got beat half to death, he goes out there and, and, and like jogs around the block going, yay. <laughs> yeah, he did. So. Okay. <laughs> we live in awesome times. We live in the time that can... That, you know, Saint, Saint uh, Jose Maria Escriva, um, he says, when you look at the person who annoys you, and this kind of has to do with anger, right? He says, when you look at the person who annoys you, and he's like walking up to you, you say to yourself, ah, oh, this per person annoys me? He says, no. He says, say to yourself, ah, oh, this person sanctifies me. Well, if you apply it off of persons to things, situations, ah, oh, this society that we live in sanctifies me. I have opportunities for holiness every moment of every day because nothing is taken for granted. Yes, I can be a saint. Right? I mean, even, even, oh, I'm not even going to say this because it's recorded. Never mind. <laughs> but you all know what I'm thinking. Even that makes us holy. Look at that. Even that makes us holy. So, great question. Thank you. Don't be tired. Don't be tired. Be angry. Yeah. Be angry. Because that's what's going to give you the energy to keep going. That's what's going to give you the passion to say, I'm going to keep struggling for holiness. To work to establish peace and justice in the kingdom of God. Like, thy kingdom come. Like, yeah. This is, this is battle. Let's go. It's go time.
Remember, Jesus didn't say, take up your feather pillow and sleep with me. <laughs> but I mean, that's what the apostles did in the garden, right? He's like, hey, let's go pray. And they're like, okay, shh, let's sleep. And he's like, no, I said, take up your cross. It's going to hurt. It was all the wine. It was all the wine. <laughs> it only had three cups. Goodness. <laughs> yes, last question. Um, this is just a comment. Okay. You gave us a nice, very nice quote from St. Francis de Sales. And um, I don't know if everyone realizes that he was an angry person who had to find a way to overcome it and did. But he had to, he had to fight it every day. Mm-hmm. Lots of our I saints. Don't I don't know if everybody knew that either. And I thought that Angry St. Francis de Sales overcame it with meekness, with gentleness. And that's what we're going to do too, is take our anger and direct it towards the virtue of meekness. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we remember the words that your Son taught us. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. We ask you to instill within our hearts that virtue of meekness that would direct us to submit ourselves to you in all things so that our passions might work according to your glorious plans. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Amen.